0: Writing and speaking well is quickly becoming a skill that is harder to find these days and is seemingly less valued in the broader culture. Technology, so the argument goes, is going to make it less necessary to write so well and speak while our thoughts and an idea of social media post. Yet these core academic skills, which our schools still hold up as just basic expectations, are in fact the variabilities that will be even more in demand in the future. Join us for this conversation as we rediscover the joy and value of writing and speaking well. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it ancient future education for raising the next generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here. We are on this journey of raising up the next generation. And along the way, we look at issues related to really kind of the world of parenting, Parenting 101, Classical School 101, and the basic issue of Culture 101. We actually do a little 202, maybe some 303 level stuff as we go along the way, but we all need to be encouraged. And we are all part of an amazing journey of people that God is raising up all over the world. To come alongside young people base. So there's a lot of bad news out there but there's also a lot of good news and we get to celebrate that every day and the work that happens in uh, this journey of raising up uh, our generation through classical christian schools uh, thanks for reaching out to me again i always tell you how much it, it means to me just to take a second and, and send over an email i know that's old technology but i still get it it still works info at basecamplive.com uh, emily harrison reached out this week. And she said, Hey, thanks to you and Keith for the latest episode. As you continue to talk through these important issues, she says, I have a tagline for you. She says it is the internet is not a playground for our children. Uh, Emily, you're absolutely right. Maybe we'll get that put on a t-shirt at some point. Um, and hopefully folks are not letting their kids out to internet playground land. Um, it is a crazy, uh, technology world we live in. And we believe that the best antidote is raising up children that love truth, goodness, and beauty as we do that through our homes and our churches and through our schools. And so this is the place to be, to be encouraged today. And I appreciate again, all of you, uh, Keith and I are continuing to uh, lean in, to collaborate, to work on resources, a lot more coming. We would love to come and be a part of your school at a, at a parent education event or a gathering that you're having there. We're going to be combining forces for this roadshow next year. All those details and more are at the Basecamp Live website. You can just check under the, uh, speaking and training uh, tab and learn a lot more about that. And we also have a, a special website coming up with even more details on all of those things. I want to say thank you to the, uh, a couple of our sponsors, uh, Classical Learning Test and America's Christian Credit Union. Thank you for your partnership and your support. This conversation today with Andrew Pudowa was very encouraging. Andrew is another one of those great leaders in this movement. He has been um, actively involved for many decades in the world of classical Christian education. He's the founder and director of the Institute for Excellence in Writing and father of seven. He travels and speaks all around the world addressing issues related to teaching, writing, thinking, spelling, and music, and helping folks understand how to do so with clarity and insight. And he has such wonderful practical experience and even humor. He will be telling a joke. That's one of the things he's known for is his great sense of humor. Um, His seminars for parents and students and teachers have helped transform many reluctant writers and have equipped many educators with powerful tools to dramatically improve student skills. And although he is a graduate of the Talent Education Institute in Japan, he holds a Certificate of Child Brain Development from the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential, that's a mouthful, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Um, he is, uh, at heart, a, a What one has called him a young Alaskan boy, uh, called him this. He said, the funny man with wonderful words. And I think that's well put. He is um, blessed to have a heroic wife, Robin. Uh, They have homeschooled their seven children, and they're now proud grandparents of 15, and they make their home in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Andrew Pudua. Well, Andrew Pudua, welcome to Basecamp Live. Thank you, Davies. It's good to be with you. It's an honor to be with you, Andrew. I was trying to recall, I think it's probably been at least eight, 10 years ago, we were together at the Ambrose School in Boise. You came out to do the amazing work you do and uh, training up educators and the Institute for Excellence in Writing.
1: So, But it's good to finally be back with you. I remember the beautiful library at that school. Yes. That is the, the one thing that sticks in my memory most is what would it be like to be able to come to a school like this every day and just be in this room? (laughs)
0: Yes. Well, it's it's one of those, you know, it's a a gift when the building architecture can reflect the philosophy of education. And that school definitely has that figured out. But, Andrew, you've got uh, going on three decades or three decades plus of being in this space of, of education and helping to raise up the next generation. And I would love just to start out with just some perspective. You know, when you've done it for anything for three decades, you get perspective. And, you know, what are you seeing today? Some of the challenges that, of modern families are facing even those who are committed to classical christian education what are some of the observations you have with your kind of span of three decades
1: well you know not to start off on too negative of a tone but i would say the the three most significant differences are um a lowered vocabulary in almost all the kids i meet whether they're in school homeschool, public school private school wherever i go it, there just isn't the kind of richness uh, of vocabulary that I was used to encountering for so many years during that, really the first decade, say from 95 to 05. And I think there are some reasons for that we could get into it. Uh, a second thing I would guess is that the shortened attention span of most everyone, and this would include us as well as adults, I I know that I have to struggle to just put screens away, go to a completely different room, uh, don't pick up the phone and concentrate for 30, 40, 50 minutes. Uh, that used to be a very normal, easy thing. And I don't think it's age. I just think it's the ubiquitousness of screens in our life. And I think if that's affecting me, who did not grow up with screens other than a pretty highly... Monitored regulated television, um, but certainly not like what we see today with children and young children. Uh, I worry about what that's doing cognitively and intellectually to the young, young children that I see. Um, just you know, it used to be you'd go to a, you know, you'd go somewhere and ki- kids, if they were bored, they'd pull out a book and read it. And now it's pretty much always, you know, they've got a, a phone, a tablet, a screen of some sort of playing some kind of dumb game like a babysitter. And uh, so I'm worried about that. And then the third thing, uh, I, I think we went through essays, which is very good for, for me personally in terms of Institute for Excellence in Writing, especially in schools around uh, 99, 2003, 2005, even to the end of that decade. There was a tremendous emphasis on teaching language arts, teaching um writing in particular. People still valued that tremendously and um i I see that while there still are some people who value that, the general education population is kind of looking that as more of a secondary thing to perhaps you know things like technical skills or yep. STEM or um, o- overall literacy of current things. Uh, I mean, we could get into the the lack of understanding of the structure of language, the lack of historical context, uh, you know, we could go anywhere with that. Those are the, you know, those are probably the three biggest changes I've seen on the upside. Um, the last uh, few years in particular have caused an explosion of opportunities in alternatives to public schools. Uh, the explosion of classical schools, in particularly in the charter world, with uh, groups like Great Hearts and Hillsdale getting involved uh, very energetically. And a lot of parents uh, becoming aware that they really do need to be involved in their children's education if they want to have any say in what goes on, you you can't just send your kid off to a building and assume that they're going to get everything they need. Yeah. So that's kind of on the upside, I would say. And that that happened a little bit before the COVID years, but it was the COVID years that really solidified for so many parents, hey, I have got to be in this with my kids here.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's really a kind of the drumbeat that I've or the I guess the drum I beat at base camp all the time is that you know even in a classical Christian school um, we have to be careful not to take that outsource mindset and you know we're, we think oh we're not homeschooling I paid somebody to do this education but no you the the you know the the effectiveness of the education is absolutely tied to what's happening at home which is part of this podcast it was like how do we help you when you get home uh, parallel what's happening in school so those are those are really good perspectives Andrew and I think you're spot on and. And, you know, we call it the 301 problem here in base camp, which is we kind of control technology from 745 to three in our schools. We should be all, all the time, all the way. But at 301, Cyclops, the one-eyed screen monster pops out and you've got a different narrative that these kids are getting uh, throughout the rest of their day, which is really detrimental and difficult. So I'm sure you're seeing that.
1: Yeah, we are. Fortunately, you know, we are able to exert, you know, a minimal amount of positive influence in, in that world. And uh, the more, you know, the more we have discussions like this, like what you're doing with Basecamp, and and you know, a lot of people involved on on all aspects. And it's it's not even a political thing anymore. What interests me is how many of kind of your classical like freedom loving liberal types are now very concerned about the narrowing of what's going on in terms of information coming to people and we it's like everybody's more and more living in a bubble and to the degree that we in education can try and point that out and help people gain the perspectives of history, the mm. perspectives of of true diversity of culture, the perspectives that literature gives to kids. Right. Um I, I see that as, as almost the only hope against this this uh narrow, bubble minded a tribal, um, harmful way of
0: looking at the world. Yeah. Well, and I think you're, you know, I think if we'd recorded this podcast seven, years ago, you know, we probably would talk about things like moral relativism, which is completely there, but it's so much beyond just things are immoral to the point that now you've got a generation of students that are, that don't know how to think. And I mean, it's extremely scary. I mean, you know, you look around the world at places like Rwanda where genocide broke out and I've been there and I've studied you know, why did that happen? And it's tied to the education system. It's tied to people not being able to understand history and the world and, and know how to think well. I mean, that's, that's, this is like the gloves are off. This is the real deal. This isn't just polite education, it's survival education, I believe.
1: I like that. That would be a good name for a second podcast someone could do survival education. There we go. All right. You know, com-
0: we'll, <laughs> we'll come, we'll, let's, let's work on that. I think that, I think it would be well received today because it certainly feels like, you know, the gloves are off and it's no longer just, interesting philosophical conversations about better forms of education now this is like your kids are or you know it is a real serious issue and to your point i would agree wholeheartedly i think in some ways this is the last best hope i mean certainly jesus is the last best hope but you know somewhere not too far from there is our schools coming alongside christian families to prepare the next generation so with that and, and again I, you and i could banter on about the problems but you know when i look at the Work you've done in particular in the area of of really teaching students to write well and to read well. I mean, in many ways, it's the it's the core essence of what classical education has always been about. This idea of rhetoric, writing, and speaking well. But I, you know, in terms of it kind of being an antidote, I I certainly see it that way. I mean, if if, if a young person shows up today into the world or graduates and they can write well and reason well and speak well, I mean, you. Not only will you get a job, but you might actually not get duped by the narrative all around you. So, set this up a little bit. I know we're going to unpack it a little bit more, but why is this so important to you, writing and speaking? Well,
1: well, um, I think we have a mutual friend in uh, Andrew Kern. Yes, and um, I've spent a lot of time with Andrew. In fact, I think when I came to Boise, we were we were there together doing our two Andrews seminar that we did. That's right. I don't know five five six cities. We probably did thirty. Cities in five years time. Um, but he said something once to me that just really stuck in my brain. He said, if you cannot read or write a complex sentence, then you cannot think a complex thought. That's good. And if you cannot think a complex thought, please don't vote. You know, which, you know, has a humor element to it. And I I don't think we would take it literally, but, you know, we are looking at the simplification of thought through the shrinking of vocabulary, through the less complex prose, through the machine generated prose, through the quick, uh, you know, ad bites that are used to manipulate and control the desires of people. And it really harkens back, I think, to Orwell in 1984, which is a book that everyone should read. I used to say read it every 10 years and see, you know, how, how it sets. Then I think maybe read it every five years now. But one of the things that struck me so powerfully about the book, the last time I read it was this intentional shrinking of the language, the shrinking of the new speak dictionary so that it would get down to a point where thought crime, i.e. having an idea that was counter to that of the big brother, the party, the state, would be impossible. And isn't that really, you know, the the dream of those who would like to control everything and everyone is to make it impossible for anyone to challenge mentally even, let alone, you know, verbally or physically, you know, what they want to do. So uh, that shrinking of thought through the shrinking of language is something that I feel like, you know, in my small, tiny, little humble way, I am working against because we're always talking about vocabulary and the whole writing programs about how do we help kids learn to use and understand and, and skillfully deploy more complex sentences yep. and paragraphs and, and analytical thinking, but you have to have the words to do it in. And that probably is the most bottom line thing that I have learned in 30 years is you cannot think a thought, you don't have the words to think it in. That is
0: absolutely correct. Um, and and, and, <laughs> and again, uh, very much, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm struggling with words because now you've said the importance of words, but no, the, uh, the, the challenge <laughs> is certainly in, in front of us right now with students today that you know the, a big response to what you just said would be that's cool stuff you know i mean we really need to learn to think well and articulate well again ultimately so that we have the resilience to go up against all of the narratives and the stories that are being told around us and how do we do, and i think brave new world is a great reference point in that why don't we take a, a, a quick break i want to come back cuz i think you know there's certainly one of the things we hear a lot today is why do i need to why is writing and and speaking and rhetoric in general is so critical, especially in a world where you've got everything at your fingertips and now AI is actually producing, you know, pretty impressive written statements and things. I mean, is this, are we going in the right direction? It seems like maybe the world is uh, looking at us more and more as the antiquated uh, educators. But uh, in fact, I think we're going in the right direction. And I want to hear your response to that when we take come back from the break. As schools and families, we engage with businesses every day, and unfortunately, many of them are increasingly embracing more progressive ideologies and practices. That's why at Basecamp Live, we're proud to partner with America's Christian Credit Union, a banking institution that only serves and invests in kingdom causes. So whether you're managing a school, a home, a small business, ACCU can meet your banking needs while upholding biblical values. Find out why tens of thousands of families and ministries across the country, including Basecamp Live, have chosen to bank with ACCU by going today to americaschristiancu.com slash Live. Andrew, we classical people get blamed for being a little uh, backwards looking, maybe a bit Amish or something. You know, we're nostalgic. We like the old hard ways. Um, And here we are advocating that one of the antidotes to the current cultural moment is reinforcing this classical idea of teaching, communicating well, writing well, speaking well. Um, I assume this is the right direction to be going in, and and why, in light of the cultural moment.
1: Yeah, well, I came across a quote from one of my favorite people. He's kind of like the Confucius of the age. I'm sure you know of him, maybe you're a fan as well, Jordan Peterson. And uh, this is an excerpt from an interview he gave in 2021, which I think really concisely underscores what we're talking about here. Quote, There is no more exceptional form of the capacity to be dangerous than to be articulate. One of the things that shocks me is that young men in particular are never taught this. Do you want to be competent and dangerous or do you want to be vague and useless? Those are your options. I don't care what your job is. If you're a plumber and you are articulate, you can negotiate with your clients. You can introduce your coworkers. You can make a case for your employees. You can advertise your services. You're firing on all cylinders. And what's the alternative? You want to be inarticulate? You want to say, uh, and like, and mm, and pause, and stumble? You would choose awkwardness over grace? It's beyond foolish. Yeah, well said, Jordan <laughs> Peterson. <laughs> yes, you can't really do better than Peterson, even when he's just off the cuff. But, you know, I have often said to, you know, kids when I've been traveling around the country and teaching, mostly teenagers, And I'll meet a lot of boys in particular, but a lot of kids, uh, and they don't like writing and they don't see why they have to come to these classes and do this. I said to them, it doesn't matter what you do, whether you go into you know, engineering or the military or garbage collecting. If you can speak and write ideas well, you will rise up in that field. The best engineer remains an engineer because that's what he's good at. It's the good engineer who can communicate engineering ideas effectively that attains positions of leadership and influence. And, you know, most of the kids I meet are in the Christian world. And I think to some degree, they believe they have a mission other than to figure out a way to grow up and be comfortable. Uh, and, and when you hit them with that and say, God needs you to be articulate so that you can help bring truth to people who are in desperate need of it and increasingly in desperate need of it and to do that you've got to prepare yourself it's you know it's it's like preparing for a sports game or a war you you can't go into a fight or a game or a battle without the strength and the skill to do that and if we are really living in an, in a world where ideas are the battleground and it seems very much like it is right now, then what's the best training for you? Well, we look back and we don't have to redesign this. We know what the best training is. We can go all the way back to ancient times. And just like they figured out gymnastics and it hasn't changed very much since then, they figured out rhetoric training and how to understand and use grammar and logic and winsome persuasive communication to affect things in the world. So, if you've got someone who will agree with you that truth exists and it can be known and communicated, you can make progress. If you're dealing with people who just don't believe that truth even exists anymore and everything's a matter of opinion, then I would say dust off this, knock off the dust from the shoes, and go elsewhere. Yeah.
0: Well, one thing that you you just pointed out that I emphasize often on the podcast, because I think it's so important, and I I say this somewhat provocatively, but I think often in our K-12 schools, the most neglected population are our students when it comes to them really understanding the vision for this type of education. And I think we're probably pretty quick to sit them down and, and begin teaching rhetoric, but not really give them that vision of like, well, if you were to learn this and lean into this education, here's where you would be that sort of savvy that Jordan Peterson so well articulated. And I think that's probably not at the front of the minds of a lot of our teachers, too, because we're so into the mechanics of teaching it. And then you can get, I think, easily disillusioned with this idea, well, AI is coming. Why do we need to spend so much time you know, you know, putting these tedious sentence structures together when the computer can do it for us? And if we don't catch that big vision of changing the world and being resilient, then I, I don't blame them for being a little disillusioned.
1: A few thoughts come to mind right there. The first one is, um, I I think that almost all of us, and I'm I'm even guilty to this to some degree, but I think the vast majority of well-meaning parents and well-meaning teachers are looking at the purpose of education for the promulgation of wealth and comfort. The reason you get a good education is so that you can get a good job, so that you can get You know, a good income so that you can have a happy family. And that is just a completely disordered way of thinking about the purpose of life. So until we can, you know, unravel that a little bit, I don't know how we make a lot of, a lot of progress. Part of it, I think connects with this next idea, which is what is the relationship between a human and technology? Right, uh, and technology is nothing new. I mean, you—you, you, I'm sure have heard the story of how, um, you know, Plato in one of the dialogues talks about uh, the king of Egypt uh, and the great god Thoth, who said, "I will give you writing as a gift." And the king said, "Well, okay, we'll take your gift, but it will be a double-edged sword because it will let us, you know, write things down, but then we won't rely on our memories." So even writing itself is a technology. That will begin to atrophy the skill which it replaces. Now we're seeing, you know, that kind of thing on Uber steroids. But uh, one of the things I try to talk to parents about is you want to establish the right relationship between the human, your child, the human or yourself and the machine. Who's telling who what to do? Are you controlling your technology so that you can better? accomplish your your objectives and missions in the world or are you allowing technology to derail that to some degree whether it's through you know entertainment or distraction or um confusing information or uh, atrophy of skills so if we can use ai to better accomplish our goals then there's a there's a potential upside. But what we, I think, have clearly seen, just given the volume of traffic on the Internet, is that the vast majority, the super majority of all information that transfers between people through Internet and from and through screens and machines is, is um, you know, at worst porn and at best uh, doom scrolling. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so much of it is just not purposeful. Yeah. There is an interesting upside to this world of AI. And I heard a term not long ago. I don't know if you've heard it, Davies, but I heard this term prompt engineer as actually a new career category. Mm-hmm. So the idea that certain careers are going to be eliminated by. AI, which will do much of the programming of bottom line programmers and do much of the writing of bottom line commercial writers and all that. But who's going to get that out of the AI? AI. It's going to be the prompt engineers. Yep. And so now that's interesting to me because that requires the skill of asking very good questions, which in a way is another way we might define critical thinking. Asking very good questions. And I have long, uh, you know, tried to communicate to people that, you know, the basic skill of writing after you get past the mechanics of the grammar, once you move into the logic and rhetoric zone of writing, it's really about, can you ask yourself good questions? Can you ask others good questions? Because the quality of the questions you ask will determine the quality of, of not just the writing you do, but the life that you will have. Yeah. And that's such, what a great reminder. Again, I, again, you know,
0: emphasize this all the time that this is definitely not, as somebody said, kind of a a sentimental, fusty old education. This is actually the best way to prepare for an AI technical world. And I had not heard that idea of who has to sit there and come up with the prompts, but you're absolutely right. It's only, the response is only as good as the inputted question. And if you've been trained with classical rhetoric, and you can speak and write well, you're you might be the first person that gets hired there at um, you know, TechCompany.com, um, who may be doing the hiring. So, well, Andrew, why don't we take another quick break? I want to come back and just um, get again a lot of directions we could go, but just some quick advice to parents and to educators, and just best practices that you've seen over the years when it comes to excellence in writing and speaking, and um and we'd love to to hear that from you, and then. I do hear that you are a pretty serious jokester, so I would be ashamed to not get a joke out of you before we end the podcast. So we'll promise that here in the third section as well. will be right back with Andrew Putawa.
1: What does Athens have to do with Africa? Would you like to be a part of the global classical Christian movement? The Rafiki Foundation is providing classical Christian education across 10 countries in Africa to underprivileged children. We provide preschool to high school education, Bible study, two meals a day. We like to say the best education for the least of these. Rafiki provides opportunities for classical Christian schools, educators, and families to participate in this movement, either by helping children, providing scholarships for children to go to these classical Christian schools in Africa, or by going yourself for two weeks, two months, or two decades. Find out more at the Rafiki Foundation website or the Rafiki Foundation podcast. Thanks. This is Karen Elliott, the executive director.
0: Andrew, you spent thirty years traveling around the world encouraging educators and parents. If you had, you know, just a few minutes in a room with a group of parents and thinking about the importance of, of writing. rhetoric and speaking well, what just some best practices, encouragement you give to parents. And then I'm going to ask the same question, just kind of with educators in the room.
1: Well, I'm not sure I would talk about the importance of it because if they're not sold on that, they're not going to hear anything else. Um, So what I would say, and, and I think almost all parents and teachers would agree, yes, I would like this. If what you want 20 years from now Is a person who can read and listen and speak and write in their language skillfully. Then the most important thing for you to do every day right now is read aloud to them in huge quantity, as much time as you can spare. And this should start essentially, you know, at birth. Uh, which is easier if you've got older kids in a family than, you know, the infant just grow up in that environment. But as soon as you, as soon as you can, you start reading aloud to children every day and never stop reading aloud to them. Even when they start reading on their own, you continue to read to them at a level above their own decoding skills. That's what grows comprehension and that gives you shared context for conversations it builds historical literacy it builds vocabulary uh, if you're reading things that are kind of increasingly complex if you're willing to read things that are you know 50 80 100 200 1000 2000 years old you're getting uh, you know you're bringing that child into this world of language which really is you know the word i mean there's it's not accidental That, you know, in the beginning was the word. And, and I would argue that it is in language the way in which we are most made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, that we have this phenomenal capacity to access truth through language and language through an experience of truth. And the, the fundamental way that that has been done through All of history, really just up until 40, 50 years ago with the advent of ubiquitous television in everyone's life, was the bedtime story culture, the read aloud to the family, the what do we do when we can't go anywhere? We sit down and read books together. That was just universally done in all literate cultures. And uh, that's my greatest fear, is that we've lost that in the homes today. So that would be my one biggest, you know, bullet point. And and I
0: think to that, just to emphasize, it's not, I think most folks listening are like, yeah, that's a great thing to do with your grammar schoolers. But you know, high schoolers, they're on their own reading that you would disagree with that. I know and say, no, you should read even, they should read on their own, but they should also, you should also read as a family. And, And that's, I know our family did that. And some of the best memories have been books that were read aloud in the home during high school years. So. They're never too old.
1: Yeah, never too old. Um, secondly, if I can put in yes. a plug for memorized language. This is another thing that's been at the core of primary and even higher education for as long as history records. People memorized huge chunks of of poetry, of scripture, of excerpts, of the beautiful rhetoric that had gone before, of historical speeches. It was a way that we would internalize in a very real way. In fact, uh, my mother, who was a music teacher, she never used the word memorize. She always said, you have to learn by heart. Learn the piece by heart. Learn the poem by heart. And there's something so true about when you memorize something, you take it into your soul in a very powerful way, a way that you really can't do any other way. And I would love to see this restored i think classical schools really are on the forefront of helping people understand the value of cultivating the memory as a human faculty and furnishing the mind with good and true and beautiful language but i would like to see it much more universally understood and appreciated by you know the more general uh, population of parents well and i think that again is a it's i'm glad you've
0: you've put an emphasis on that because i think it, it's too easy today to not only assume you don't need to memorize because it's coming to you on your device, but that it's just as adults, I think most of us think anything memory oriented is tedious and difficult and therefore undesirable. And yet we all know our grammar school kids in particular memorize anything, whether you ask them to or not, and they love doing it. So why not lean into that? And I just, that's, that's beautiful. I think that makes a lot of sense. So uh, reading, uh, memorization, anything else kind of as a quick best practice you would encourage?
1: Well, y- you know, uh, there's sometimes a question of why do Latin, right? You know, the classical mm. school world, you know, and, and people are like, nobody uses Latin and it's not practical as though everything that we had to learn had to be practical. Um, I'm going to recommend a book to you personally, Davies, if you haven't read it, I guarantee 100% you will love this book. It's called How to Think Like Shakespeare by mm. Scott Newstock. Okay. Brilliant, brilliant books. Tremendous wordsmith, this guy. He's a Shakespeare scholar, so likely. Okay, yeah. Um, and it's really it's really about the type of education that Shakespeare had. And so this value of language and rhetoric and honing and refining. And the funny thing is Shakespeare never took an English class. <laughs> what it, what right. did he do? He spent his entire childhood in school, basically, you know, reading and translating right. Latin. Yeah, And that right. gave him the x-ray vision into the language that made him the phenomenal wordsmith that he is. And I could go on and on about that book, but uh, that sounds he might great. be a, recommendation. a guy you'd yeah. like to talk to at some point. I,
0: I appreciate that recommendation. Absolutely. And I think, again, it's easy to go, yeah, you know, he's just in that one percenter, super genius guy. You know, he just is like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. How did he? He read, he studied Latin, he worked hard, I and mean, that's, that's part of the output. Well, there's a lot more we talk about, Andrew. Thank you for just, again, just a fresh reminder that the work that we're doing as parents and as educators every day is really not just, again, a polite. It's survival education, as we talked about earlier, and really important work. And so thank you for all that you're doing uh, with the Institutes for Excellence in Writing and, and just championing this important work that we're doing. Um, thank you for that. But again, we'd be remiss if we don't get a joke out of you because I know that that's a part of, I, I guess that's part of rhetoric is being able to tell jokes.
1: <laughs> Andrew Kern said to me one time, the whole purpose of a great education is so that you get every joke. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Here's anything- one of my, all right, go ahead. Here's one of my newer favorites. So there's a, a woodsman out in the woods and he's chopping down trees and he's about to chop a tree and the tree shouts out, stop, stop. Don't chop me. I'm a talking tree. And the woodsman says, Yes. And you will die a log.
0: <laughs> you will die a log. That's really, that's great. Did you make that one up? That's pretty good. That's pretty creative. No, that, no, I didn't make that you know, one up, but I, I locked right onto it. That's a great one. Yep. You're, yeah, you will dialogue. Yeah, see, these are this is why I love jokes. And we need more jokes. Uh well thought through jokes, well developed jokes. So I do hope you'll write a joke book someday. I think everyone would love that, Andrew. It'd be great. So f- we've we talked about a lot of things. There's a lot of great resources you have. By the way, I, I admire you as a fellow podcaster. You guys what just celebrated your four hundredth podcast, I think. Is that yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of talking, but a lot of good content. And I want to encourage people. So uh, Arts of Language is your podcast, and you guys are over on Is it IEW.com? Is that the best place for folks to find you? Yep,
1: that's it. And then any of your podcast delivery methods, Spotify or
0: Apple, iTunes, whatever you use. Carrier Pigeon, podcast, whatever's out there now. That's right. (laughs) That sounds great. Well, Andrew, it's always a joy to get to chat with you, to reconnect with you and look forward to further conversations. Thanks for all you're doing for parents and education in the next generation.
1: Thank you, Davies. It's been great.
2: Hey there, Basecamp Live listeners. This is Davy's daughter, Hannah here. And I want to congratulate this amazing podcast on almost five years of incredible content, enriching interviews, and over 200 episodes. So that has brought so much encouragement to people. And thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for supporting this message. This mission. And there are a couple ways that you can help in sharing that message. First of all, please leave a five star review on whatever app you are using to listen to this podcast. You can also share it with a friend. That's a great way to get the message out about Basecamp Live. And of course, share your story with us at infobasecamplive.com. At there will also answer all your questions and more. And any topics that you'd like to hear too, please send them there to info at basecamplive.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks.